Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we're taking a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves to watch 12 movies in a short amount of time, Palmer. Oh, it was such a short amount of time. Veronica Mars is ruining my life. I had to watch all of these yesterday. There's no way that you watched all of these yesterday. You don't know that. Actually, I do, because we have a... See, you and I have a texting thread, and it shows me when you talk about stuff. You're assuming I'm telling the truth. I mean, I have to. <laughs> Otherwise, I would go crazy. <laughs> er. Crazier than I already am in how looking, you make me. Looking for your book. Nope, looking not for, there. Looking for my not iPad there. <laughs> without trying to spill any water. So we're here in the last episode of season, season four. four right. Season Nine, four eight, of, eight, yeah, seven, six. That's right, of Academy Rewind. And we're here to talk about the 1936 Best Picture nominees. They are as follows. Les Miserables, Alice Adams, Naughty Marietta, Ruggles of Red Gap, David Copperfield, Broadway Melody of 1936, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Mutiny on the Bounty, The Lives of a Bengal Lancer, Captain Blood, The Informer, and Top Hat. Whew. Palmer, out of this list of films, <laughs> out of this list of films, which one do you think won Best Picture? Uh, uh, Midsummer's Night Dream? That is incorrect. Aww. Guess again. There are so many movies. Uh, Captain Blood? That is incorrect. The Informer? That is incorrect. The Ruggles of Red Gap? Incorrect. David Copperfield? <laughs> Incorrect. Mutiny on a Bounty. That is correct. Yay! It's Mutiny not on a Bounty. Mutiny on the Bounty. It's the name of the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Mutiny on the Bounty. I'm sure there were more than one ship named Bounty. I'm sure there were not. Hmm. Otherwise, the like, colon, you know, the one they mutinied on. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so let's go all the way back to... Let's start with a movie people... May not be familiar with, but... Um, <laughs> be more specific. <laughs> but we'll probably know the story, uh, Les Miserables. Let's okay. Start, let's start with Les Mis. Directed by uh, Richard Boslowski, written by W.P. Lipscomb, based on the novel by Victor Hugo, starring Frederick Mark, March and Charles Lawton, amongst many other people, <laughs> and Charles Lawton being in half of these movies. Um, not really. I think he was in three of them. He was in three... Almost in four. Almost. No, you just mistook him for somebody else. No, he was he was scheduled to be in another one. And oh, he really? Dropped out. Oh, yep. okay. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Cinematography, Editing, and Assistant Director, because that was the thing at the 1936 Academy Awards, <laughs> and it won nothing. Nope. Nope. No, Not I, a single half thing. Half of these movies didn't win anything because there's too many nominations. Well, I mean, it took... It took a bold stance in not doing the musical version. Yep, because the people who wrote it weren't even born yet. Well, that's that is just an excuse, really. Sure. So, uh, if, if you're those of you who are not familiar with the story, Les Mis tells the tale 
or the life of Jean Valjean, who steals a loaf of bread to help feed his sister and his niece, and he is sent to prison for that. And then so the movie and or the story follows his exploits and the um, law officer that chases after him. Because he broke the law. Because he broke, yeah. I know Javert. I know because he broke because he broke because he broke the law, uh, and so it it follows his it follows his life as you know a man with nothing to something to finding what life is really all about. Does it though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he has nothing. And he's no, like, no, no. I meant the was... last part. Like, does he really know what life is all about? Yeah, because he finds like you know he cares for this girl and you know he cares for consent and he loves her like a daughter and blah blah blah. And he's like, oh, I didn't need the wealth of being mayor and the accolades and blah blah blah. I'm like, cool being a dad. That's now I'm gonna die. Because <laughs> Cosette, whenever she leaves somebody's care. They die. They die. Yeah. She's actually Typhoid Mary. She really is. Yeah. So anyway, I I thought this was re- I thought it was really well done. I was I, I was I was disappointed that it, I mean it was the first movie I watched, but I was disappointed it didn't win anything. I thought it, I thought it was re- it's really well made and it it condenses Victor Hugo's enormous novel to to its to its minimum, but it like it hits the cliff notes really well. Um, okay, I would agree with most of that. I feel Valjean in this one is a little bit too basic. Mm-hmm. I think Javert's too basic in this one, actually. That's funny that you say that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the as you were saying, like, he finds out what life is all about. And in this one, he, like, he doesn't really want to be mayor. They're like, we want to make you mayor. And he's like, no, no I'm I'm good. And they're like, no, no, you're mayor now. That's the how, that's how it always is, right? But that's the story because he doesn't want the attention because he's still because he's a fugitive, right? He broke the law. Yes, Javert, I know he broke <laughs> the law. I get it. You you keep leaving that part out. Like there's a reason. Like Javert's just not there. He's like, well, that guy used to be a bad guy, so I'm going to follow him. No, he's a fugitive from justice. No, he he served his time, right? And, and then, then he broke his parole. Up. He broke his parole, which is against the, the law. law. Blah blah blah. <laughs> so, I I don't feel. I don't feel there's a lot of arc in Valjean in this version. I think he's, the movie kind of topples in the third act. I think that's He's think always that's right. kind of content with what he's doing. I don't agree with that at all. He is not. You mean he's content like, I'm going to steal from the bishop and I'm content with that. And now I'm right. going to be mayor, I guess, and I'm content with that. Like, and, there's, there's no, yeah. like... We haven't hit it yet, but in the musical version that we'll get to uh, in a couple seasons, he's very bitter at the very at the beginning. Like when we first see Valjean, he's very bitter. Sure, and he, I, I he and Cosette very... helps him to to come over that. Where I don't feel he's like that in this movie. Oh, see, I I got that immediately from him in this movie. I, but maybe that's because maybe I was. Uh, placing that on the film because I've seen so many versions of it at this point. You know, there's multiple non-musical versions. There's the stage show. There's the movie musical. You know, so 
I mean, maybe it's just because I know the character well enough at right. this point that I mean it's very true. Um I feel I feel is it Denardier? That's mm-hmm. the Tenardier. Tenardier. Huh? Tenardier for the innkeepers. They don't really have much to do in this. Like they're just in the one thing and that's about that's it. That's what I said. This is the spark this is the spark note yeah. Um I I like Javert. Yeah, well, Charles, it's Charles Lawton. Right. And I, this, out of the three parts that he played in this lineup, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think this was his, this might have been his weakest. Interesting. I thought he was, I thought he was wooden. And I mean, he was supposed to be wooden. Right, because he's Javert. Because he's Javert. But like, the focus is so much on Jean Valjean here. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, like, he brought what he could, but I don't, I didn't feel fleshed out the way that yeah you might see in other versions and i don't know how i don't know how this happened but this movie does even even less to convince me Cosette and um mariette mm. are actually should actually be in love like that's always been one of my problems with every version I've seen of this is they meet day one, day two. They're like we're ma- whoa, no, we're no, madly no. in love and no, we're gonna run I'm off. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mister. I love every teen romance, movie right? That because ever they show happens. progression. This there's no progression. It's they meet a- in the morning, afternoon they're in love, at night they're running away with each other. Yeah, see, but one that's a double standard from you. Two. That's not the point of. That's not the true point of the story. They're a side. They're a side plot that involves Jean Valjean. That ends up involving Jean Valjean. And so, like to like, if you want to watch their progression, read the book. No, the book is long and boring, and they probably never get on the boat. No, and you you don't know that it's boring. You've never read it. Uh, I've tried. Yeah. I made it. I made it through the preface about the bishop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's like the first hundred pages. Right. You haven't even got to Jean Valjean yet. <laughs> I know. What is it about those books? They uh, got paid by the word. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's why a lot of Charles Dickens' work is un, like unwieldy because he's like, <laughs> I'm going to use a lot of words so I can get more money. Yeah. Because I've got to feed my tum tum. <laughs> you know. That's that. So anyway, let's move on because we got a lot of movies to talk about. Alice Adams, d- directed by George Stevens, uh, whose son founded the American Film Institute. That's okay. my fun fact. Um, wait, wait, we have fun facts. Oh, fun facts, lame is. Yes. Ha, you know what? You, if I didn't say the word fun fact, how I mean, long would it have gone uh, probably, before you remember? Yeah. So this is the last 20th century pictures made before it merged with Fox and became a corporation to form 20th Century Fox. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. This is one of only five properties that have had two different adaptations of the same material, both nominated for Academy Award. This adaptation of the Victor Hugo novel stands alongside Les Mis, 2012. The other pairings were Cleopatra, 1934 and 63, Mutiny on the Bounty, 35 and 62, Moulin Rouge, 1952 and 2001, Romeo and Juliet, 1936 and 1968. We've actually watched both of those already. Yes. Mm-hmm. The 1935 version of Mutiny on the Bounty was the only one of these nominees to win. Mm. Well, there you go. No, that can't be right. Didn't Les Mis win? No. It did not win Best Picture. What won Best Picture that year? We'll find out. 
And by we'll find out, I mean once you're talking about another movie, I'm going to look it up. Good, yeah, please, because that's going to bother me. There are numerous changes to the novel, including reducing Valjean's prison term to 10 years, 1800 to 1810, instead of 19, 1796 to 1815, abridging the ordeals of Fontaine, probably to conform to the Hayes office code, Mm -hmm. having Cosette learn Valjean's true identity at the start, changing the backstory of Eponine from street urchin to secretary, and stating the students' goals to be law reform rather than overthrow of the government. The streetwise little boy Gavroche, a popular character from the novel, is not shown at all. That's right. Yeah, no, I know that's right. That's That's right. No, you didn't write that. I I could have. You didn't. Um... Alice Adams, directed by George Stevens, written by Dorothy Yost, Mortimer Offner, Jane Murphin, based on the novel by Booth Tarkington. You made up that name. I what? You made up that name. I did not. Starring Catherine Hepburn, Fred McMurray, and Fred Stone. This movie was nominated for Best Picture and Best Actress. It won no awards. There you go. The plot follows the climb of uh, climb through the society of Alice Adams, who tries to be upper crust but comes from a lower class background. She attempts to hide her background from the man that courts her. Yes, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. And also, her father invented the world's best glue. Yes, which I thought was a the hilarious. glue factory. I thought that was so funny. But he can't just start a factory, Mom. Like I know that. Anyway, this movie was. Real boring. I did not care. Wow, for that. that is that is very mean. What did you think about it? I mean, I thought it was boring too, but that's besides the point. It's okay. I just, I just, I did not care for. It. I thought Catherine Hepburn was great because she's always great. I, I will say, I liked Catherine, Catherine Hepburn in this movie. If for no other reason, she didn't have her Catherine Hep- Hepburn uh, voice yet. Catherine Hepburn voice. Yes, yes, yes. So that was a plus. Yeah, I um. I th- there, I thought it was very pretty, and I just didn't think there was like it didn't move with any great haste, and so you like you spent there's a solid couple of minutes where you just watch her standing watching people dancing, yes, and you're like, all right, are you going to sit down at least? Like, no, do, you don't. You don't do sit down something. in the 1930s. No, but no, she, she does. They're like, can I have the seat? And she's like, no, I'm waiting for someone. Why does she sound like an old witch? No. I don't know. know. Something, something dark dark side. (laughs) Um, Your your Cagney impression is on par with my Catherine Hepburn. Hey, my Cagney impression is gold. Gold, Jerry. It's probably coming back, too. (laughs) Um, Do you have have anything else about this film? I mean, no. This movie just kind of goes from one to the other. It, It just, no... Pass. It's a hard pass. It's a pass. I, it's, 12, it's not even bad. No, like, it's just kind of dull. Yeah. And, I mean, 12 movies, and I really only didn't enjoy two of them, and right. Alice Adams is one of them. Yeah. The rest of them, I thought, were either, like, good to excellent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fun facts about Alice Adams. Okay. Catherine Hepburn wanted William Wyler to direct the movie good at the suggestion of George Cooker. But the producer, Pandoro S. Berman, favored George Stevens. Rumor has it that it was decided by the toss of a coin. In fact, Berman remembers that Weiler actually won the coin toss, but Stevens had completely won Hepburn over by that time. So when she saw that Weiler won the toss and she had a look of disappointment in her face, the coin was tossed again, and this time Stevens won, and he directed the picture. Wow. Yeah. 
the power that she held. That's crazy. <laughs> when, Those are all excellent directors. Like, right. shut up. Yeah. Shut up, Catherine Hepburn. When Mr. Adams is building his glue factory, he wishes he could have the old butterine factory in the background. Butterine was a product somewhere between butter and margarine that included up to 50% milk in its ingredients. 50% of milk? Yep. Wow. Keep that in the fridge. Keep that in your pipe and smoke it. Smoke that butterine. <laughs> there was a disagreement among Catherine Hepburn and George Stevens about the post-party scene. The script called for Hepburn to fall onto the bed and break into sobs, but Stevens wanted her to walk to the window and cry with the rain falling outside. Hepburn could not produce the tears required, so she asked Stevens if she could do the scene as scripted. Stevens yelled ferociously at Hepburn, which did the trick, and the scene was filmed Stevens' way, and Hepburn's tears were real. And then she got nominated for Best Actress because of it. Yep. So there you go. Yeah. Movie magic. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Um, Naughty Marietta, directed by Robert Z. Leonard, and ghost directed by W. S. B. Mason. Van Dyke. Oh. Nope, so close. Written by John Lee Mahan, Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, based on the musical by Rita Johnson Young, starring Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy for the first time together, uh, also starring Frank Morgan and Elsa Lancaster. Nominated for Best Picture, uh, and it won Best Sound Recording. That makes sense. Makes sense, because we watched this together, yes. and we both commented that how good the sound was. Yep. And we watched it on DVD. This wasn't even like an HD right. quality stream. Like It was like a step below, and the sound quality was incredible. It really was. It, it was great. So the story, uh, the story follows um, a French princess, and she, uh, to avoid being married to somebody that she doesn't want to be married to, she signs a contract to go be married to someone in the colony of New Orleans, and so she hides her identity and ships across and then falls in love with Daniel Boone. Not really. He falls in love with, she falls in love with a captain that wears a, uh, a, coon skin uh, cap. a coon skin cap. And uh, the music is extraordinarily good. They are just incredibly talented people. The You could kind of wrap, I think you could have wrapped the movie up 15 minutes early. Like, you know, you could kind of like just, all right, get on the boat. Yeah. And then like get over there. And then like, it's like it takes a little bit too much to like, just like finish up. Mm -hmm. And it's less than two hours. But there, the music is just extraordinarily good. Uh, the music's good. Uh, it's weird. Every woman in the 1930s sung aria. Nope. That's no. not true. I, we don't know that. No, I, I think going by that. these movies, that's what happened. Except that Ginger Rogers and... Um, oh, shoot. What is her name? And not Ginger Rogers. And not Ginger Rogers. Um, Eleanor Powell. They did not sing arias. Mm. Yeah, Didn't they Jeanette McDonald's a classically trained singer. It's it's a much different style. Yeah, I know, but it just it seems like it's what what you're referring to is called a vibrato. That like when they're like when your voice wavers, like it goes like you know blah, you know mm -hmm. like Gaston versus um, auto tuning, I guess. Okay, and so but that's just that's a particular style of singing. It's not an aria is a kind of song. Right, done in a high. Doesn't have to be done in a high register. Why not, not necessarily? It should be. It doesn't have to be. A is the first letter of the alphabet, so it's the highest. Uh, actually, uh, no, no. A is, is the, the first highest. letter in the alphabet. C is the highest in the in an octave, though. Yeah, that's wrong. C D E F G A B C. 
Yeah. Yeah. They 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 labeled notes incorrectly. I don't know why they're labeled that way. I don't know why it's <laughs> AB. I don't know why it doesn't start with A as the first note. I don't understand. Musicians are weird. We are weird people. But anyway, continue. Um, music's great. Movie it, is like it's fine. Yeah, it's 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 basic. It's a basic. Yeah. It's a vehicle for singing, as all the musicals yeah. are. They're like either you can sing or you can dance or whatever. But this was made on the cheap, and it made a lot of money. And right. So I think that's kind of the like we watched it and we were joking. I'm like I think those are the Les Mis sets. Yep. Like, Which I'm pretty sure they were. Yeah. Well, I mean, movies did that. You know, you use somebody yeah. else's sets. But it was, it's fun and cute. I can understand. I mean, the costumes actually are spectacular. The costumes are really nice. They're so nice. Yeah. And so I, watching, I was like, I get why you were nominated. But I also get why you were only nominated for Best Picture and Sound. Because they really just wanted to give you a sound award. But also fill out the Best Picture <laughs> noms. But also, we had to nominate every movie that came out that year for That's Best correct. Picture. That's correct. I feel bad for the like because obviously there are more movies that came out in 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 uh, 1935 that didn't get nominated, but I feel bad for movies like that. I'm like really, like you couldn't swing it. One of the twelve, <laughs> there's so many of them. Uh, yeah, no, the movies a, the movies a very basic love story, and it's been told better over the years. But it was it was decent enough. I mean, you could just listen to the soundtrack and it would be fine. Yes. I like. I don't think you I need, agree. I don't think you need to search out this movie because you're gonna have to search it out. Like it's yeah. not readily available anywhere. No, we had we ran across that with two films uh, this time, or at least I did. Right, because I couldn't find the lives, lives of, of the... Bengal Lancer. No, couldn't yeah. find it at all. So anyway, um, let's move on to your fun facts. fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Much to Frank Morgan's annoyance, he was required to shave his mustache, which he hadn't done for 17 years. Hmm. Why did he have to shave it? French people didn't wear mustaches. That's not true. We don't know that. He was also the governor, the colonist, plus Frank Morgan's a delight, so (laughs) whatever. The song Ah, Sweet Mystery of Life was famously sung by Madeline Kahn as the Bride of Frankenstein in Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein, 1974. That's correct. Elsa Lancaster, who appears in this movie as the governor's wife, played the Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, in the same year this film was made. That's correct. She's only at the end. Yes. plays Mary Shelley slash Bride of Frankenstein. Right. Yep. I knew that. I connected those dots together while watching the movie myself. Reportedly, some, some controversy arose over the inclusion of the song Ah, Sweet Mystery of Life in the film because it was known by many to be the theme song of Forest Lawn Memorial Park and Mortuary. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. I told you that was part of my fun fact. That is a good fun fact. <laughs> that is That would have been such a waste because it's a beautiful song. <laughs> and they were like, oh, no, you can't use it. The mortuary has rights to it. Oh, no. Because when I think of funerals, I think of Ah, Sweet Mystery, mystery of, of Life. Life, I found you. Anyway, that's great. Can we move <laughs> on to another movie now? We can. Great. Ruggles of Red Gap, directed by Leo McCary, who was handpicked by Charles Lawton, because Leo McCary was famous as the director of The Three Stooges. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, written by Walter DeLeon, Harlan Thompson, Humphrey Pearson, based on the novel by... Harry Leon Wilson, and it was also a play in 1915. Uh, movie stars Charles Lawton, Mary Boland, and Charles Ruggles, who has... It's just a weird coincidence that this movie is called Ruggles of Red Gap, and a man whose last name is Ruggles is 
play in this movie, and he does not play Ruggles. I don't think it's a. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. No, it's actually because a it's not his real name. What? So Charles Ruggles is not his real name. It's a stage name. Right. Right. But he was performing in stuff before Ruggles of Red Gap. But I don't think it was as Charles Ruggles. I don't know. When I looked it up, a lot of people said it was a coincidence. Well. So. I don't know. There are no big coincidences or small coincidences. Your conspiracy theory can wait here. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, and it won nothing. And I think that is a travesty. (laughs) Because I weirdly But But it's inspired every, like... Every British, like, British comedy sense. I know. It, it's so... Well, I mean, Citizen Kane didn't win either, so there you go. I mean, this is essentially Mr. Mr. Belvedere before mm-hmm. the TV show Mr. Belvedere. That's right. And so the story is uh, a British valet um, who oh, his employer lost a bet. Um, he gets transferred to a new employer who's like a... Washington Yankee, I guess he's like a cowboy. Like he's what's the? He's not. He's not from Washington. Yeah, don't they go to Washington? Don't they go to Washington? They go to Washington. No, they State. go to Red Gap, Washington, Red Gap, Washington. Mm, yeah, look maybe. it up. Oh, I'm going to. Yeah, look it up. Red Gap, Washington. Because I was like, where is this supposed to be? It's weird that they all talk like this. But th- anyway, um. Uh, he's basically Yosemite Sam. <laughs> like, yeah, he is. His new his new owner is basically or um, new employer is basically Yosemite Sam, and so this British valet played by Charles Lawton has to adjust to the American way of life as opposed to his British lifestyle. I thought when this movie started, I like could not get over like how like obnoxious the Americans were in this movie. And I was like, oh, my God, I hate America so much. I'm on his side. <laughs> but then, like, but the movie gets you on, like, the movie is able to, like, it moves with you and Ruggles to, like, to be accepting of this culture. Like, of this, like, weird, brash and loud culture that doesn't fit in where he is in England, but it works for us. And I, that's why I think the movie was, re- I think the movie is really smart because like the start of the movie and I was like, Oh no, I feel so bad for Ruggles. And by the end I was like, yeah, Ruggles, you be an American. You, cause we're the best. And so I like, it's like, it's really, it's really clever and it's really funny. There's some, it there are some moments that I like, it is classic comedy. It's not, it go, it's not, it is not dated in any way. And I enjoyed that. Plus, I think the whole movie is really worth watching for the Gettysburg sequence. Like, and the, not just his, not just him reciting it, but also, but everybody just like for going for around the bar, going, "Do you know what Lincoln said at Gettysburg?" No, ask ask Joe. Hey, do you know what Lincoln said at Gettysburg? No, no, no. Go ask Dave. Like, do you know what Lincoln? It, hilarious. Nobody knows. Right. It's it's. It. I think it was. I think it was. I think it's worth your time. Definitely, no, definitely seek this one out and and check it out, especially if you like like if you like old movies, this is really a good one to watch. Mm-hmm. If you don't like old movies, give it a try. I mean, um, it's quick like, and it's a comedy, and, yeah. And I think and the humor still works. The humor does still work. Um, like I said, it it's it's very. This is one of the this is one of the comedies that kind of 
inspired the fish out of water stereotype almost. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Lawton does a really good job as Ruggles, mm-hmm. uh, being very dour. I think this was his best performance out of the three films. In, okay, in this, I obviously you don't agree. You I think, mean, you think it's Mutiny on the Bounty? I don't know. I don't know. I would have to. I would have to figure it out. But um, he does a really good job in this. Uh, while I'll disagree with you at the end, I still thought the Americans were brash and annoying, and I was like, uh. Because I like it's just not a characteristic I like. No, but that's no, I don't either. That's like a personal preference. So there's very little that it could have done to win me over to win me over to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like, I do like how the town does kind of come together and rally around Ruggles. Yes, um, and accept him as one of is accept him as one of their own. Mm-hmm. So that to me was really was a really good point of the film. Um, it is, it is very funny. Uh, it's hilarious at times. And it finally filled in a piece of knowledge that I didn't have. Um, there's a Daffy Duck cartoon, Mm -hmm. um, that's included in the, when Looney Tunes used to just like mash up a bunch of their shorts and call it a movie. Right. Uh, called Quackbusters that I used to love as a kid. And one of the scene, one of the shorts is Daffy Duck. Uh, trying to make a millionaire laugh before he dies, mm-hmm. and he calls the butler Ruggles. Oh, so like when that's great. when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, that's where it comes from. And I, one of the things that I really like about going back and watching these movies is catching stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. It fills out your fills out your the pop culture side of your brain that you didn't your or I guess the. Um, not Easter egg, but reference side of your brain. Exactly. Because yeah. you're like, I know that's a reference to something, but I don't know what it's from because these cartoons were made in you know the 60s, 50s, 70s. So there, right. was, there was definitely um, references that we didn't get. Um, Charles Lawton needs to be in more movies. Like, I don't well, understand he's why now. he's only in three. Well, he's dead now. Well, I'm sure we can, like, bring him back. Right. Call Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> All right, so fun, fun facts. facts about Ruggles of the Red Gap. Nazi Germany banned the release of any German-dubbed version of the film because of the Gettysburg Address speech. Makes sense. One of Edward Norton's top five films of all time. Good choice, Edward Norton. According to the autobiography of Elsa Lancaster, Charles Lawton's wife, Paramount bought the story in Elsa a Elsa Lancaster as in Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. So theoretically, he was her. His wife was in. So he's probably on set. Counts as four. Yep. Three, three, and half, three and a half. <laughs> he's probably on set of Naughty Marietta. Nailed it. Paramount bought the story and appointed Leo McCary as director at Lawton's request. Before the film began shooting, Lancaster states Lawton worked with McCary and the film's writer on the script and hired an old friend Arthur mcrae who later became a playwright in england to add the necessary englishness of ruggles oh that's cool yeah that's very cool it is all right good fun facts i thought so indeed one of them i already knew but that's fine hey, when you already knew <laughs> <laughs> david copperfield directed by george kakor uh written by hugh walpole howard estabrook and lenore j coffee based on the novel by charles dickens Starring a whole slew of people, including Freddie Bartholomew, W.C. Fields, Lionel Barrymore, Madge Evans, Maureen O'Sullivan, Edna May Oliver, 
Lewis Stone, Frank Lawton, Elizabeth Allen, and Roland Young. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Editing, and Assistant Director. You know, that Because that category. was a thing. That was a thing. This movie won no awards. And to that I say, good. Why do you hate Charles Dickens? I don't hate Charles Dickens. I hate adaptations of Charles Dickens. <laughs> They're so tedious. Wow. I'm going to remember that the next time you reference Muppet's Christmas Carol. I won't. But you know I love Christmas Carol, and I I think I def I think I'm the one that gave Oliver, um I'm definitely the one that gave Oliver Best Picture that year when it was nominated. I think I gave it to Oliver too. Did you? Yeah. So I like Charles Dickens. I find personally, I find Great Expectations and David Copperfield dull stories. But just both of them. There's something about the two of them I just don't care well, for. Well, one's a love story, so that's so we know that we know the reason why you hate Great Expectations. Is that a love story? Uh, technically. So, I mean, this one also has He's in love. love. This one also has love in it, certainly. And actually, there's parts of it. I, this, this, it just, it tried to condense too much. We've talked about this before on other other episodes where we, we've done Golden Age films. And they're just, they try to take too much information, like too much story and squish it in. So, like... So like his wife dies. Spoiler: His wife dies, and then and then like the next scene, he's like, "But I've always loved you." Kiss and sunset, and you're like, "But right, your but wife that makes sense just, because you but see your wife that. just died, but you see that they love each other." Um, sure, yeah, but also like the way that the film presents it, it's like uh, the next day he's like, "My wife died, but I'm but I'm here for you now, baby," and I just like, "Oh, Davy Copperfield, not having it." What I will say, I loved the production design in this film. Mm-hmm. I think, like the upside down boat, um, and like even some of like the the lattice work and the furnishing, it was like it was really, it was really, really good. And so I will give you that it looked good. Okay, but I won't give you anything else besides that. Yeah, I mean, maybe W. C. Fields because he's W. C. Fields. Yeah, I mean, I I do kind of agree with you. This. Is... This movie is dreadfully boring. Um, dreadfully even, boring. Even with like 65 people in the movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't even really tell you a thing about this movie after watching it. It's the story of David Copperfield. Right. The younger. David Copperfield, the younger. That's correct. And they're like, oh, because there was a David Copperfield the anymore. And they're like, oh, you're going to go live with me in the beach now. We're like, ooh, that's exciting. Oh, my God. I just didn't care. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't. This one and uh, what was it? A Tale of Two Cities that we saw. Yep. Last season. That was last season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, both had really good. And they both are boring. Both had really good production design. Yep. That's correct. So and I don't think a tale of two cities is a boring story at no. all. I just didn't care for that one. And I but I don't care for David Copperfield. I'm biased. I'm pre. I mean, he doesn't even biased. perform any magic tricks. None. Not one magic trick. I know. Although the, he didn't even go into the water at the end. Somebody else went in. He's not even like he's like I want to stand on the shore. Like why am I watching a movie about you? Uh, <laughs> because if he goes into the water, that's just die. to just to die. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what happens. I know, but still. Anyway, fun facts if there are any. There are fun so, facts. So it turns out I didn't like three of these films because I forgot about David Copperfield completely. So, W. C. Fields' contract included a clause 
in which it was specified that he speak with a British accent. He didn't. Nope, no, he did and not. And this may have been because he had difficulty memorizing Charles Lawton's dialogue and eventually had to read his lines off cue cards. Despite much controversy in the press about Micabre, 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 that's a horrible name, having a strong American accent, the director said he felt Field was born to play the part. Charles Lawton was originally supposed to play Micabre. This is the fourth film. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Even Charles Lawton couldn't save this movie for me. Uh, the film marked one of the few times MGM studio head Louis B. Mayer failed to properly predict popular taste. He had opposed both the making of the film and producing it with a budget of over $1 million, convinced it would be a huge money loss. Instead, David Copperfield not only turned a tidy profit of 781000 in its initial release, but brought in an additional 95000 when it was re-released a few years later in order to beat Avatar. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> that, that is might, what we that, that might be your best fun fact. That is what we call an ad lib because I didn't even I didn't even put that in. That's great. That's great. It rolled right <laughs> off the tongue. It took me by surprise. <laughs> According to film historians, W.C. Field performed in only one film exactly according to script and as directed. That one was MGM's David Copperfield, 1935 in which he co-starred with Freddie Bartholomew, who was only 10 years old. Fields admired the Charles Dickens book and wanted desperately to play Mr. Guy in the movie, so he agreed to forego his usual ad-libs and put aside his distaste at working with child actors. Wow. Um, it wasn't included in here, but W.C. Fields is a Dickens historian. Is he really? Yes, he was a very big Dickens fan. Huh, I did not know that. Yes. I'll be Dickens. I'll be I'll be Charles Dickens, Dickens, I will. All right. Can we move on? Oh, we can. Movie, Broadway Melody of 1936, directed by Roy Dilruth, W.S. Van Dyke, written by Sid Silvers, Jack McGowan, original story by Moss Hart, starring Eleanor Powell, Jack Benny, Robert Taylor, and Una Merkel. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Writing for Original Story. It won Best Dance Direction, which feels like... A made-up category until you think of that a couple of these <laughs> movies were musicals and dancing was a thing with between Fred Astaire and you know Ginger Rogers and you know Eleanor Powell so I feel like you were allowed to have a category right. like that back then yeah now we'd be like what what are you doing <laughs> what are you, there's only one movie oh, they should bring it back next year so cats can win yeah let it be released first movie uh, the movie's plot revolves around Bob Gordon, who is staging a new Broadway show, but he is short of money. He gets an offer. He gets an offer to get more money by the young widow Lillian if she can dance in his new show. Bert Keeler, a newspaper man, gets this information and is writing about this in his column in a slightly unfriendly way because his boss doesn't like his his boss doesn't like that all his Broadway news is about babies. It's like. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> like, who doesn't love babies? I love babies. Of course I love babies. Who doesn't love babies? But it's not news. <laughs> um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Gordon's old classmate, Irene Forrester, Eileen Powell, uh, Eleanor Powell, a tap dancer from Albany, also tries to get the leading role in this new show. But Lillian insists in getting this part for herself. So Irene Forrester, Bert Keeler, and Gordon's secretary, Kitty, start a little game to get Irene the leading role. This movie is 
inc- weirdly convoluted for a song and dance show. This musical. had plot. It had a lot of plot. And I it despite it being a little weirdly convoluted, I enjoyed this it's, movie. It's immensely. very enjoyable. It's so funny. Yeah. And the dancing is out of this world. It's so good. That's why it won its special award for dancing. <laughs> I I think the jokes still the jokes still hold up. The music's great. The dancing's good. The design the set designs are great. Like I when when the producer keeps coming into the newspaper guys the running joke the running joke to punch him in the face right but by the last time they were in baseball they were in baseball masks like um uh, catcher's masks and then so he punches fun- them in the stomach so funny <laughs> it's so funny yeah i would definitely recommend this to oh anybody. absolutely I, definitely definitely down. watch this movie it is it is so enjoyable it's so lighthearted. oh um, yeah there's nothing to it yeah there's really nothing it's you know, it has the trope of it has the trope of like somebody changing their appearance to to be mm-hmm. to get noticed. Um, although right. I will say you you kind of misconstrue the story a bit because the the writer dislikes the producer because the producer is never going to like he doesn't want him to have news. He doesn't want to give him news based on his new play. So he kind of. He kind of goes with what he's what he hears that that the uh, widow is buying into the show and that he's going to cast her as the lead even though she has no talent, which is kind of true. He has that agreement with her if he can't find somebody better, mm-hmm. um, but it's not given to him by anybody. He kind of he kind of overhears it and goes with it. So that's the first time he goes in there and punches him, and then that causes him to start making up this woman who's this great French actress yeah, that's right. that doesn't exist. This. That's right. And since no one knows who this person is or has ever seen her, the actress, um, the friend from college, and the secretary conspire, like, well, we'll just make you her. Mm-hmm. And it was all done to kind of play a joke on the producer to not be able to get this large star which kind of backfires when he's like, hey, by the way, I, I got her in my show. And that is why it's convoluted. Like, this is why the storyline is very convoluted, but it works really well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's so convoluted, I tuned, I tuned out after a little while. What you were Everyone saying? Everyone died. Yep. Oh. I feel like the last shot of this movie, like, even when the producer's, <laughs> like, when he, like, figures it out, and the movie just ends with him going, oh, my God. I'm an idiot. <laughs> that's it. End of movie. It's so fun. It really is. Yeah, it's so fun. It's not a best picture winner like in mm. that way. You know what I mean? Like you can see why it's yeah, nominated because a lot of musicals. So there's like A and B. There's A and B movies, right? You know, big budgets or smaller budgets, right? Like horror movies are almost always B budgets because they didn't need stars. They needed screams. And so um, – but musicals were always A because you needed the talent, you needed the production design, you needed the music. And so they, ha- they had to spend so much money just to get a musical off the ground in the first place. Mm-hmm. That they were always like these big overwrought productions, Naughty Marietta being like a weird exception. Right. Um, but I think it was still considered an A film even with a smaller budget. 
Yeah. And so you can see why they get nominated just based off of that because all the studios are throwing money at the throwing money at them. Right. So they look better than most other movies. And so that's my that's my tidbit on that. Um Midsummer Night's Dream. No, wait, no. no fun facts. Sorry. Fun facts. Sorry, you were talking so long. I thought you did the fun facts. Sorry, I, I did. Think. Uh Robert Wildhack does a humorous stint showcasing different snores. He is billed as the snorer. In the next film in the series, Broadway Melody of 1938-1937, he does sneezes and was billed as the sneezer. <laughs> Originally scheduled for four weeks, the picture took four months to complete. Yeesh. Reportedly, Eleanor Powell did not want to be in the film, but was too polite to directly tell MGM executives. She asked for the leading role and an exorbitant salary, and MGM accepted her demands. Wow. Powell was spotted in a Fox screen test by Louis Mayer, who initially thought she was African-American, but Ooh. changed his mind when he found she was white. That's gross. Yeah. She was initially offered the part played by Una Merkel, but eventually played the lead. Oh, interesting. Okay. Una Merkel's the blonde secretary. Oh, I liked her. Yeah, she's cute. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. This movie was fun. It was, I really liked yeah, it. Was it. Fun. movie was... Weirdly fun, but not fun. A Midsummer Night's Dream, directed oh by William uh, Diertelli and Max Reinhardt, written by well, written by William Shakespeare and adapted for the screen by Charles Ken- uh, Charles Kenyon and Mary C. McCall Jr. Starring James Cagney, Joey Brown, Ross Alexander, Dick Powell, Gene Muir, Victor Jory, Frank McHugh, Viri Teasdale, Hugh Herbert, Anita Lewis, Ian Hunter. And Mickey Rooney. Yes. Yeah. And boy, is he Mickey Rooney. I don't know what drugs Mickey Rooney was on doing this movie, but I felt I was not on enough of them to watch it. <laughs> Nominated for Best Picture and Assistant Director. So many of them. <laughs> and Assistant Director. It won Best Editing and Cinematography. Yes. Because there are some pretty amazing tricks with the camera in, yes. 19, in the land of 1935 Hollywood in this film. I am not going to replay, relay, I have it written out here, the plot of... Um, Why is that plot so long? Exactly. So I'm not going to relay it. Basically, Theseus is like, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to do it. The gods are like, let's play tricks. <laughs> and Puck's like, okay, the end of plot. Also, there's love and stuff. You know? Also, there's love. Also, there's a, there's a man with a horse face. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like um, Theseus is going to marry Hippolyta before, you know, she makes a baby out of clay. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. <laughs> uh, and so, and there's, like, it, there's just a lot going on. I don't necessarily, I love Shakespeare. I do not care for A Midsummer Night's Dream. Because it's just weird. It's very, it's a very strange, it's all over the place. But it's, it's of that Greek myth style. So it's like, you know, the Odyssey, they get like turned into pigs and, you know, and things like that. So like a guy, this guy gets his head turned into a donkey. And, you know, that's, it's like Shakespeare wrote it deliberately to be of that. Right. Like larger just, than life style. I just naturally assume A Midsummer's Night Dream is um, the source material for Pinocchio. Yeah, no, well, that actually, the donkey head was pretty amazing. Actually, it really the was. The mouth like, moved when he talked. It yeah. was pretty great. Well, I mean, they did do Mr. Ed in the black and white era. So. Yeah, but Mr. Ed was peanut butter. Mm, yeah. Yeah, this was a, this was a costume. 
they were like, Horace, here's some peanut butter. Yeah. And now so, he's talking. Mickey Rooney is horrifying. Extremely scary for a movie that's not supposed to be horror. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like he is a he is a psychopath, a sociopath. I'm waiting for him to murder everybody on the stage. He doesn't mm-hmm. allegedly. Yeah. Well, Puck is a like a trickster character, you know, in the way like Wiley e. Coyote or Wiley e. Coyote was Loki. trying to eat the Roadrunner. He wasn't really playing tricks on him. Maybe the Roadrunner. Was the <laughs> was the real trickster? <laughs> anyway, not important. Bugs Bunny. Let's say Bugs Bunny okay. is, a, is a trickster character. Not. I don't know why I actually said why why coyote. I meant Bugs Bunny. He's a super genius. Yeah, he is. So as most tricksters are, um, this movie to me is all about the production design and the cinematography. Like, it's obviously a set, but it's a dang good one. Like the forest is great. Mm-hmm. It's like it's really good. The costumes are very cool. I liked the um I like Theseus's um like crown, like like a branch crown thing. Yeah. Um it reminded me of like uh it reminded me of like a uh Guermo less Guermo del Toro less like someone trying to do Guermo del Toro. Uh-huh. If that makes sense. It's like they like they were like, oh, I saw you like it's like some branchy things and some weird stuff. Like we got it, we it was, got it. It was Pan's Labyrinth without the gothic romance, kind of, kind of. Pan's Labyrinth is a great movie. Yeah, is that nominated for Best Picture? Yes, yes. We're gonna watch it eventually. Yep. Um, yeah, no, this movie. You and you're right. I do. I do also like Shakespeare, and this movie, aside from looking good. Was was not was not that good for me. It's very eloquent of you. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, um, and it's just because it like the story is just too unwieldy. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, I'm an English teacher. I teach Shakespeare. I don't. I just can't like everything just because he's the master. Right, he's the bard. Doesn't mean you have to care for all of his all of his work. I just don't care for this one. Like I think there's a way of making this into a better story, but I don't know if anybody's figured it out yet. It's called abridgment. It's called abridging. Yeah, you abridge the crud out of this. <laughs> yeah, because because there's just times like you just don't know what's going on anymore. Mm-hmm. This movie plays up the like the dreamscape aspect too. Yeah. There's just a lot of like pixies and fairies like floating around a pool and you're like all right like let's get a move on here yeah i will say it's one of the easier shakespeare's to understand yeah it's generally taught to a lower to a lower audience because it's it's not um because it's not the queen's english no it is no the but the uh it's not a um like an overwrought version right of like if hamlet is if hamlet is Almost as tough as you get, um, Midsummer Night's Dream like is like Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth. They're just they're easier to they're easier I mean, to follow along. Right. While I can understand Romeo and Juliet, I think Romeo and Juliet is still can still be considered a little difficult unless you really get into like if you like the show, if you like the play, and that you can understand what's going on. Whereas this, even if you don't like it. Or follow along what's going on. 
the way they speak is very easy. Okay. I mean, it's still, it's still Shakespeare. It's still the style. I don't really get what you're saying, so let's just move on. Fine. I think I get you, but I don't get you. Mm. Give me some fun facts. Fun facts, fun facts. Diddy, diddy. When the forest that Max Reinhardt designed could not be lit properly, cinematographer Hal Moore thinned the trees slightly, sprayed them with aluminum paint, and covered them with cobwebs and tiny metal particles to reflect the light. As a result, he became the first and only write-in winner of an Academy Award. Wow. Yeah, because they had write-ins back then. That's crazy. Good for him. The production utilized 67 tons of trees, 1,500 pounds of rubber. That's where the rainforest went. (laughs) 1,500 pounds of rubber, 600,000 yards of cellophane, and 650,000 candles. Wow. All for that one scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 1935 proved professionally big, pr- proved professionally to be a big year for Ross Alexander, the young actor being groomed by Warner Brothers to be the next big star. Two of his films from that year, this one and Michael Kurtz's Captain Blood, were both nominated for the Academy Award for Best Film. But Alexander's world started unraveling badly at the tail end of 1935, when his wife, Alita Freely, sometimes spelled Freel, committed suicide. Mm. Speculation about her motive ranged from despair over her acting career to her having caught Alexander with another woman, or perhaps rather a man. Wow. Two years later, Alexander also took his life reportedly with the same gun that Freel used to kill herself. Wow. Jeez. That's dark. Yeah. But I mean, he was only in two nominated I said fun movies. Facts, damn it. <laughs> he was only in two uh best picture nominees if he was Charles Lawton and was in three. He'd have been fine. Yeah, yeah. It would have been fine. Wow, that's terrible. All right. No, it's also terrible. The Lives of Bengal of a Bengal Lancer. Oh god, di- it was. Directed by Henry Hathaway, written by Waldem- Waldemar Young, John L. Balderston, Ahmed Abdullah, Grover Jones, William Slovenis McNutt, starring Gary Cooper, Franco Tone. Richard Cromwell, Sir Guy Standing, Sir Aubrey, uh, C. Aubrey Smith, Mont- Monty Blue, and Kathleen Burke. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, Art Direction, Sound Recording, and Editing. It won, drumroll please, <laughs> Assistant Directors. Yay! Yay! <laughs> we finally found out who won. Yay! Three, Brit- three British shoulders. Uh, shoulders? Shoulders. Three British soldiers. On the northwest frontier of India, struggle against the enemy dun, 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 and themselves. I was really looking forward to this movie. I, I, Why? Why? <laughs> I well, it's it, it's a fun. It's supposed to be a fun adventure movie about um, about you know British soldiers and stuff. And I, I like Gary Cooper, and I was I was all in for this movie, and I fell out so fast. Yeah, because it was not good. Yeah, unfortunately, I will say. I I think the production design of this film is amazing. Like, it was filmed in California, and I was like, wow, I can't believe they went all the way to India to film this movie. <laughs> and then I looked it up, and I was like, wow, I'll be damned. You actually did trick me. Like, I really thought that they filmed in India. So that bit was cool. Mm-hmm. That was enough. Also, when the guy jumps off the fence it, um, at the end, he's, like, holding a sword, and he jumps out, and he, like, like, takes the guy off the horse. That was an incredible stunt. I don't yeah. care what era of movie making it is. <laughs> it was so good. Um, so, 
yeah, but besides that, I'm like I'm I'm a super pass on on oh, yeah. the lives of a Bengal a- dancer. Absolutely. Um I just the storyline, the main storyline, which was essentially the Yes, what was it? I had a hard time figuring it out. The main storyline is essentially the captain's son, who's fresh out of Bengal Lancer School, mm-hmm. gets sent to his brigade. And his son just wants to be loved by his father and appreciated by his father. And his father just keeps putting his duty over the son and kind of shrugs him aside. Gotcha. Even to the point when the son gets captured, he's like, well, oh, well. Hmm. Um, and That's it's, what I was watching, and, eh? Yeah. And Gary Cooper's like, well, if you're not going to go, Gary Cooper, who forms a kind of paternal relationship with the kid. Mm-hmm. Decides to go out and save him. That's the story. And most of it is just the kid doing something and the father being like, you're not good enough. I I won't make a man out of you. Um, so it so the story is just very it's very boring. Mm-hmm. And I will say for a movie that all that supposedly takes place in India that has um, Indians in it or supposedly Indians in Mm -hmm. it made in 1930s. Most of this film, I was like, you know what? I am so glad that I made it through this 1935 film taking place in India about Indians and there's absolutely no speck of racism. Oh man, there's the blackface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. There was a reason this movie's hard to find, and now I know. <laughs> like, like I had, the the minute I was actually thinking that, the next scene they're in blackface, and I'm like, why, God, why? Yep. 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 There's a reason you can't really get this movie streaming anymore. Yeah. Then because it's just pro- not good. It's probably because it's not good, but also. The racism. I mean, you, I mean, you can get Othello, so that's definitely not the reason. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. So, fun facts. Mm, yeah, they might be. They might be uh, happier than the last ones. They better be. This I'm film bummed out. <laughs> this is the film where Douglas Dumbrell says we have ways of making men talk, although everybody remembers it as we have ways of making you talk. Yeah, that scene was actually horrifying. It really was. Yeah. The, the torture scene. I will say but... the torture scene is is pretty good mm-hmm. with the bamboo splints yep. under the uh, under the, the fingernails. fingernails. Yeah. A news variety a news item in the Daily Variety on April 24, 1935 states the film had been banned by Chinese censors because it quote depicts the British downtrodding of oriental races. According to a Hollywood Reporter news item, despite the Chinese censors fears that the film would have would have a negative effect on Muslims. It passed for exhibition in late January 1936. Hmm. Is is your last fun fact the one I think it is? Probably. Is it about whose favorite film? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me. One of Adolf Hitler's favorite films. Damn he watched right. it. At, <laughs> he watched it at least three times. The rest. Of, the rest of the fact. I know what it is. The rest of the fact has to do with how he was a. He was a. Um, he loved Britain. He had kind no. Of, yeah. He had no interest. So in taking he, out yeah. the British Empire. He watched it at least three times. Hitler, an Anglophile, never wanted war with the British Empire. Mm-hmm. The UK and France rejected a joint 
German-Soviet peace proposal on the 28th of September, September yeah, but, again, 1939. This is, this is all – this is – it's nothing to do with the movie. It's just him being like – but I, 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 I love the Brit. I love Britain. Yep. He personally I, offered to end the war with France and the British Empire. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then – but then he didn't. Well, I mean the British didn't take him up, so. No, but – and then he – Whose them. fault was it really? I mean – Hint. Hitler's. Mine. It was mine. Well, yes. No fault it isn't, though. Captain Blood's. Can we talk about Captain Blood? Or do you have more fun facts? No, that's it. Okay. Captain Blood, directed by Michael Curtis, written by Raphael Sabatini and Casey Robinson, starring the first ever film with Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, Mm. Lionel Atwill, and Basil Rathbone. Yeah, this is what made him famous. This was not... His first film. Oh, but it is what made him famous. It, it is It is kind of what made him famous. It is the first Basil Rathbone Errol Flynn movie. Oh, okay. But it's but it's also what made Errol and Flynn And it's famous. pronounced Basil. That's a dumb name, though. You're a dumb name. Basil is what I put on my in, like, as a spice. Basil is a person's name. Mm. Continue. Yeah. Anyway. Nominated for Best Picture, Director, Writing for a Screenplay, Sound Recording, and Score, it won nothing. Nothing. It won nothing. Following the story of Peter Blood, uh, a wrongly convicted Englishman and a physician, he is sent into exile in the British colonies in the Caribbean where he becomes a pirate. My version of this story is better. Oh, what's your story? My version is... Oh, yeah, that's right. You texted this to me. He becomes a pirate after failing after having a failed medical practice because nobody would go see a doctor named Doctor Blood. That's right, Doctor Acula. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, this is my doctor, Doctor Acula. Yeah. Anyway, Alucard. Um, Alucard. <laughs> that's right. So, um, it's it's a fun adventure film. I I think it's a little slow for an adventure film. Yeah, like I was waiting the whole. I was like the whole time. I'm like, when it was gonna, no blood. When are you going to be a pirate now? <laughs> like that's what I signed up for, and I'm over an hour into this movie, and you're not a pirate yet. Yeah, what's going on? And then there's like one sword fighting scene. I think I've expected more of Errol Flynn films because I, I hadn't seen this one, but I've seen other ones. Right, because we saw the Adventures of Robin Hood. Right, and so and you know, there's a sword fight every second. In Robin Hood, not really, but which is weird because he's known for his bow and arrow. Isn't that strange? Yeah. I know he's also known for sword fighting. I guess he was in the Crusades, yeah, with a bow and arrow the, and a sword. No, no, he, he just stayed in the bushes. For his bow and arrow because of Disney, because he because he fired because he's, of the archery contest. He's famous like for being a fox because of Disney. Why are we talking about Robin Hood right now? Because of started Errol Flynn. Oh, right. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> and scene. And scene. Exactly. Um, I I enjoyed it. It's good. Errol Flynn is an extremely tall and, and handsome man, and Olivia de Havilland is very beautiful, and they look great on screen together. And so I'll just watch them in things. Like, it's yeah. fine. By, you know what I mean? It feels like that kind of movie. Like, you're attractive people, and this movie's fun. Whatever. I'll see another one. I mean, yeah. I, I think I liked it a little bit more than you did. I didn't love it. I liked it. I like this is a four out of five for me. Don't get me wrong. You you kind of undersold it then. Yeah, I'm underselling it, I guess. But I I very much enjoyed it. It's very fun. It's a movie that I wish I'd seen when I was a kid because I would have like I would have taken to it more. I don't I, think you would have. 
no, I, I liked old movies like this when I was a kid. I mean, it can be boring. Like, I want to see a better version of this film because I like the story. Oh, like, what I like the what I like the most about it is the story, and not necessarily him becoming a pirate. No, although the stuff, that's, the stuff. I mean, that's what I was the, waiting for. But the stuff before it was great, right? Like him, you know, him being exiled from England and doesn't yeah. kill himself. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Romeo, you can get exiled and be fine. <laughs> Um, he's essentially sold into slavery, but he is sold to a woman because she takes a shine to him and kind of wants to keep him out of the salt mines or right. Or, yeah, that's right. Salt mines. It wasn't yeah. salt mines. Salt mines of somebody else, and he's kind of unappreciative. I mean, to be fair, he's just been sold into slavery. Yeah, but it was it was the lesser of two evils at that point. That's right. Um. And she's always kind of, she's always kind of helping him without him. And again, like appreciative is, is a very bad term because he is a slave, but he's, he's always like pushing back on her, even though she keeps trying. That's right. She's she's a very strong female character in a year. In a a time that, in a time where women weren't necessarily. Well, strong. Well, sort of. I it, I think m- most of the female characters, if not all of them, are they're are strong in all of these films. There's, there's just right, not, but I mean oh, the time frame not, of the movie. Oh yeah, there's just not a lot of them. Oh, and the oh time frame right of the time movie, frame of the movie. Oh, okay. Like she is a very strong willed female that is a, that kind of does what she wants and is allowed to. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Well, sort of. Father's not. Right. Totally up on it. Right. But I mean, it's like it, it doesn't stop her. No, it doesn't. Um, so I did like that aspect of it. So I do like the chemistry between them two. And I like that story of and then him helping her towards the end to kind of be even like he then remembers all the stuff that she kind of did for him. And uh, they take him they take them on the ship after they're pirates. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, to transport them safely back, and then, you know, everyone lives happily ever after because they become unexiled because the king gets deposed. Is that historically accurate? Like, is there? No, I, right? I don't think so. But yeah. honestly, it's not an area that I I I know very much. Why don't you know it very much? Um, because because this is not my area of history, and I okay. teach English. All right. Why don't you know it? Because I am American, you, my you work at my store. history of my history of British knowledge ends at the year seventeen seventy six, when John Adams single handedly wrote the Declaration of Independence and handed it down from his high horse. No, that is incorrect. No, I, I just saw seventeen seventy six. No, it's exactly ben Franklin happened. that does all of those things. That's what John <laughs> Adams says. Aren't you listening? Anyway, I, one thing about this film I do want to point out is the music because Enric Korngold basically made the the sound of high adventure. Like, see, you say that, but I don't I don't see it or hear it rather. It's um this is not my opinion. I will like like put that out. This is like the the common textbook like like high adventure high adventure pirate music comes from Captain Gold from Corn Gold. Like that's that's the delineation that people that people take. Which is weird because like it just sounds like another score to me. Like it doesn't sound like anything different and it really doesn't sound like today's 
seafaring scores. I think it sounds like adventure music. I don't think it necessarily sounds like seafaring scores. I'm not saying that it's the best music in the world. No, but I mean, trying to say like it, it, it kind of like this is where it kind of branches from. This is the I don't the mold. I don't see the connection anymore. Well, maybe in maybe in that era, like when like pirate films were very big or seafaring films were very big in the like say 40s 50s 60s maybe back then but i think now it's just completely lost the time well but that's a weird thing to argue like it's the first one to do it that doesn't make it the best version it's just the first Mm, i'm pretty sure there were pirate movies before this i didn't say it was the first pirate movie i said it was the first i said it was the first like high adventure like with with this type of score with this big brassy symphonic sound mm. to make like with with this kind of tempo and these types of instruments and so like it's a it's specific i mean yeah i i understand what you're saying again i don't is, see it. i know like it's not, not your yeah, opinion it's not my opinion it's like saying like I know you were joking about John Adams, but I'm like trying to tell you that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, and you're like, I don't see it. It doesn't no. really look like his handwriting to me. It really doesn't. That's what you're saying. Like, so I can't, I can only refute so much. So just tell me some fun facts. Okay, fun facts. The score. No. <laughs> <laughs> the first screen duel between Errol Finn and Basil Rathbone, which had been reprised three years later. To grander effect in Robin Hood, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. As with many other WB re-releases, most notably The Seahawk, 1940, and The Sea Wolf, 1941, this film was trimmed from its 1947, for its 1947 re-release, losing 20 minutes. For nearly 50 years, the 99-minute version was the only one available. It was finally restored to its original 119-minute length for a home video release. Oh, interesting. I would like to see the 99-minute version because I do think it's a little a little draggy in the middle. I'm thinking it actually cuts out. Uh, it might actually cut out the, towards the beginning. Oh, like he's already like yeah. in exile. Yeah, that makes sense too. No full-size ships were photographed for the battle scenes. The sequences recycled. I'm sorry. The sequences relied on a combination of process shots, miniatures, and footage from the silent film The Seahawk, 1924, which was based on another Raphael Sabatini novel. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, it looks great. It does. The the, uh, action sequence at the end, the only action sequence at the end, was done really well, especially Mm -hmm. for a 1935 uh, film. I know. We've talked about this before, but, you know, I watch a movie now, and I'm like, computer, computer. I watch a movie, then I'm like, how do you... Like, I know it's miniatures, but it's in the camera. It's in the camera. Right. And that's that's what's crazy. And that's why computer-generated stuff is dumb. I mean, I think think when you rely on the computer too much, it becomes, like, it, it loses, it loses its charm. Yeah. I think. Because I just know none of it's real. And, but, and computer-generated effects typically age badly. They do. Because there's always an advancement, and when there's the next advancement, stuff, even from a few years ago, like, look at the, 
look at the prequels of Star Wars mm-hmm. made just about 10 to 15 years ago that don't look as good as today. That's and, right, but there's also some there's also still shots in some of those prequels that are still amazing. Like the pod racing sequence is still great. It's still an incredibly complicated and really glorious achievement of computer generated imagery. Um okay, I will I will give you this. Although I think I think the pods were real. They were not. They were no. like when they shot the actors, they were, but like the the outside like the the outside racing shots. I just watched a video on it. It's the only reason that's the one that popped into my right, head. Right, right. It like they it was a video of three um special effects artists watching uh watching episode one mm-hmm. to be like, let's talk about this and they couldn't stop gushing over the pod racing sequence. The pod racing sequence does still hold up because uh, when I watched it not too long ago, I, I agree with that. But there's a lot of stuff that there's a lot of instances and not just the prequels, but any kind of any kind of computer generated image, fully computer generated mm-hmm. image typically ages badly to the point where like Star Wars in 1975 or 76 when the original Star Wars was made, their practical effects still hold up. Yeah, I mean, and can... look better than computer-generated images from just a few years ago. Yes and no. I don't. I don't disagree with you most. Well, I disagree with you a lot, but on this, I, I don't necessarily. I still there are some. I prefer a good practical effect almost any day of the week. Yep. There are still practical effects that don't hold up, and so it's 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 you can't say that they all hold up because sometimes okay. like you know they don't the money has to be put into it like it can't be a b movie sure but a but a but money that's put into a special effect shot like the pod racing sequence like more money is put there than somewhere else then that's also still going to hold up so technically i, I don't think so yeah, we just you just said it held i up. agreed with the pod racing sequence because but i'm not agreeing and it held up but i'm not agreeing on a general fact okay i want more stan so winston animatronics well he's dead so his studio's still around that's true i agree with that like can, the, can you do some fun facts please where we don't have time to we don't have time for this nonsense we, we don't have, have time to be talking in, about time we're an hour we, and 13 no minutes time. in and we still have movies to go through and two sets of rewindies yay rewindies yeah. just wait till the year we actually make them and send them out to people mm-hmm. <laughs> even what, stan winston what did i get this for what, what, <laughs> what the hell is a rewindy uh which movie are we doing now captain blood captain blood yeah, was this done by no? You have no fun facts. You missed. I Captain mean, Blood. no, I did not miss Captain Blood. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you did. Who directed this movie? Uh, why now? You got to make me go and open my notes. Curtis or some um, Michael Curtis? Yeah, Michael Curtis. No, oh, I did the fun facts. Did you? Yeah, because this is the Errol Flynn movie. Oh yeah, that's right. Great. Go me, go me. Okay, good. Because I delete them after I did it, and I'm like, wow, I actually oh. didn't have fun facts for oh, this movie. Okay, that makes sense. Moving on, then. The Informer, directed by John Ford, written by Dudley Nichols, based on the story by Liam O'Flattery, starring Victor McLaglen, Heather Angel, Preston Foster, Margot Graham, Wallace Ford, and Una O'Connor, nominated for picture and editing. It won Best Actor for McLaglen, Director for Ford, Screenplay, and Music for Max Steiner. 
The plot is it takes place in 1922, where the Irish rebels, uh, an Irish rebel, informs on his friend, uh, and then feels really bad about it. Well, I mean, I'm underselling how bad he feels about it because the it wants the movie wants you very blatantly to make McLaglan's character um, uh, Nolan. They want you to they want you to feel that Nolan is Judas, that he has betrayed his friend for money. The police are after him and, and then he his friend gets killed. And so he and he feels really terrible about it but because he's also a member of the the ira he uh, he doesn't but he all but he's also an informer he gets very paranoid about it and then he starts giving his money away and they can track it and then he feels guilty about you know the death of his you know his friend and you know his mother watched it happen and like all this stuff and it goes and goes and goes this movie is so atmospheric and so it's so good looking and it even though it hits you over the head with the religious iconography and like the symbols like like um like at the end when he goes to apologize to the mother and she's in the church and she turns around she's got a shawl around her so she looks exactly like the virgin mary you know and the lights pouring off and she's like mm, i forgive you it's it like I feel like it really works and it doesn't work if that makes sense. Like I like I would have liked to have like come to that on my own, but because it gives you the scriptural text at the beginning that Judas gets thirty pieces of silver. Yep. That like it's told me this is what it's doing, and so it kind of removes some of the fun for me. But beside if if I take that part out, this is a really well written, well acted film. It was great. John Ford's great. Yeah, He's a didn't great like director. It. Yeah, I didn't think you would. <gasps> Blasphemy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree it's atmospheric. I agree it looks good. I agree that they really hit you over the head with the iconography. But overall, like, the fact that you know he's the one who is the informer yeah. and the entire movie is like, who's the informer? We don't know. Oh, so this is this is almost like the problem I have with Lincoln. Obviously, the bill's going to sign. Why are you playing? Why are you telling me that like it's not? Did it's you like, just spoil Lincoln for me? We haven't watched it yet. You've seen Lincoln. I did. Hush. Also, history. Nah. But I mm, see. I, it's about him and his guilt, though. It's not about like who's the informer. It tells you. You watch it happen. It's not even like it's. It's not even that it tells you. Like that's just the. It's about his guilt and mm-hmm. how his guilt manifests itself, and then him seeking forgiveness and redemption, you know, by spending his money on like on the for the people who need it. Right. After trying to pin the uh, pin it on a random person. Right. Well, he's Judas. Right. Like really? he's supposed but to. But Judas, Judas accepted what he did. Yeah, and then he killed himself. Right. Yeah. So, this guy, this guy didn't do that. He yeah, was like, it was that guy over there. Yeah, but then he decides to then be a better person about it. No, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. They they decide that he's the one who does it after his story falls apart. Right, and then and then he goes to apologize because at that point he's dying. Right. And not dying by the people who were supposed to kill him. They are the worst shots in the world. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. 
I can see why you didn't like it. I I thought it was really strong. I'm not saying it's. The, I don't even think it's the strongest movie of this bunch. Mm-hmm. But I think it's. I think it's really strong. It's fine. I yeah. mean, you're you're entitled to a correct opinion. You are correct. Entitled to your facts. wrong opinion. Give me some fun facts. There are no fun facts about this, this movie. This movie is fun facts. It ends eventually. It's not even. Lo- it's an hour and a half. It, it felt longer. No, it didn't. It did. George John Ford kept Victor Maglin continuously off balance and thus in character by getting him drunk, changing his schedules, and verbally abusing him on and off the set. And filming scenes when he told McLaughlin that when the when they were only rehearsing for the crucial rebel court scene, the story goes that Ford reduced the actor to a trembling wreck by promising him the day off, only to bring him into the studio early and extremely hungover, insisting that he spit out of his, insisting that he spit out his lines. McLaughlin was so furious with Ford over this that he threatened to quit acting and kill the director. Wow. Dudley Nichols became the first person to decline an Oscar, turning it down because of union disagreements. Academy records indicate that Nicholas had taken possession of his Oscar by 1949. Wow. This is the only film to win the New York Film Critics Award for Best Picture by a unanimous vote on the first ballot. Wow. 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 Yeah. It's crazy. It's still not good. Suit yourself. Can you uh, talk I do. for a second? Because I have to cough and I don't want to cough into the microphone. I mean, I could, but now you've ruined the majesty of what was happening. The majesty, not even the magic. Last Second to last movie we're going to talk about. Top Hat, directed by Mark Sandrich, written by Dwight Taylor, Alan Scott, not the Green Lantern. I saw your face perk up. Played by uh, Aladar Aslo, starring Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, Edward Everett Horton, Helen Broderick, Eric Rhodes, and Eric Bloor. Nominated for Picture, Art Direction, Dance Direction, Original Song. Cheek to Cheek by Irving Berlin. It won nothing. Uh, plot is an American dancer, a stare, comes to Britain and falls for a model, Ginger Rogers, whom he initially is annoyed, who he has initially annoyed, but she mistakes him for his goofy producer. Um, I think that a stare and Ginger Rogers are in peak form, and this movie is hilarious and should be watched by everybody. The end. Uh, this movie was really good, although my story is better. This plot line revolves around the top hat from Frosty the Snowman before it eventually finds its way on Frosty's head. Yes, very good. I like it. The end. The end. Uh, it's, it's very fun. And unlike Anchors Away last episode, I don't feel that the dance sequences in this movie are just to showcase the dancers. Obviously it is, but it feels more of a natural part of the movie than it did in Anchors Away. Even when they were dancing cheek to cheek, yes. Yeah, even when they like moved off to their own like staging area. Yes, yeah, whatever. That's fine. Cheek to Cheek's a great song. What movie is Cheek to Cheek in? Is it Shawshank? This movie. Is it is it Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption, something like that? There's a I think that there's a scene where like somebody's watching it, like an old film. They're probably watching this movie, and they're they're definitely watching this movie. But I can't remember what movie like that's in. I'm pretty sure it's the Green Mile. I'm pretty sure it's Shawshank Redemption. Okay, it's one. I think it's one of those two. Anyway, well, they're both about prisoners, so you got a fifty fifty chance. I, yeah, that is true. I guess we'll just have to watch both of them. Actually, Shawshank Redemption is coming up next season. So. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, no, the yeah, it's very peak Rogers, a stare movie Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's got Irving Berlin. You know, Frosty. Uh, the Frosty. Not the Frosty. Uh, the snowman from the... Dun, the dun, cheek, dun, cheek. What's the name of the people who did those claymation show it? Rankin Bass? Yeah. Those guys. There you go. It's a good movie. Yeah. Um, I think Everett, Edward Everett Horton and Helen Broderick steal this movie from everybody. They are the producer and his wife. Yeah. They are hilarious. They are so funny. And they. I wanted a whole movie about their relationship. I just want to watch a, a movie about them. It I mean, you great. could get one. We don't know. I mean, I could. Indeed. Um, fun facts. The finale of Top Hat, White Tie, and Tails, production number with Fred Astaire miming his cane as a weapon, attacking his supporting dancers. 13 canes were prepared for it. During shooting, Astaire, ever the unforgiving perfectionist, was continually breaking his canes in frustration at his mistakes, which concerned the crew that he was running out of them. As it turns out, the shooting of the scene was finished with the very last cane. Oh, well, there you go. Fred Astaire supervised every other aspect of the development of a dance number, from the orchestration through the finale, shooting, and editing. He was particularly adamant about how a number should be filmed. He disliked interrupting the flow of the dance with unusual camera angles, cuts to the face, or feats of the dancer, or reaction shots of people watching. Mm -hmm. Mel Brooks has said that this is his favorite movie. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those movies where people are like, what's your favorite movie? And you're like, uh, Top Hat. I guess. You know? Like, I, I, I don't actually see that happening. Like, if anyone's going to tell their favorite movie and not be embarrassed by it, it's Mel Brooks. Right. That's true. All right. Very good. Last film. Best Picture winner. Mutiny on the Bounty, directed by Frank Lloyd, written by Talbot Jennings, Jules Firthman, Carrie, Carrie Wilson, based on the book of the true life events by Charles Nordoff and James Norman Hall, starring Charles Lawton, Clark Gable, Frank Ottone, Herbert Munden, Edward Quinlan, Dudley Diggs, and Donald Crisp. This movie was nominated for actors, Gable, Tone, and Lawton, director, screenplay, editing, and music. It only won Best Picture. Yeah. That's so strange. It's so strange. It really is. It's so strange. Uh, it follows the story of a, tyrannic, a tyrannical ship captain, played by Charles Lawton, who decides to exact revenge on his abused crew after they form a mutiny against him, but the sailor he targets had no hand in it. Right? Yeah, it's kind, kind of. of. I mean, there's a lot happening. They're basically, like, there's an island filled with beautiful women and sex, and, and they're Tahiti. like, let's stay. Yeah, Tahiti. No, that's the <laughs> name know, of the island. I know. <laughs> but they're like, let's stay here forever. And he's like, no, back on the ship. And they're like, we hate you. We're going to mutiny now. <laughs> that's actually what this is like. You took beautiful women away from us. Like, we hate you. <sighs> Captain Bly was named, like, one of the 50 greatest memorable screen villains of all time or something like yeah. that which i don't know why like he's uh, doing his job i mean yeah javert um he's, he's <laughs> they broke the law i mean some of them actually did because they're indentured servants because they're prisoners sure um i think i think the bit where like the guy is strung up like for punishment for lashes and they're mm -hmm. like but sir he's dead and he's like mm, lash him anyway Oh my, you're like, oh my god. Like, you don't get out of punishment that easily. <laughs> like, just because you died doesn't mean you're not going to get your lashes. Exactly. Like, he's pretty bad. Like, and he's pretty bad. Honestly, though, this is not a best picture. 
Okay. I, I to me like interesting. It, I think it's I think it's good. I like and I think everybody in it is good. I don't think it's a best picture. I think that like it's it's a well made movie period. But I don't think it makes any like you know, I like it when best pictures are like kind of like making bigger statements about something. That's kind of hard to do when this is based off of a novel. It's based off of real life. It's not and a novel on, and a novel, but it's based off of a true story, which I do, which I do like. And I, like I said, everyone's good in it. And I guess I can see why it won best picture, mm-hmm. but I just doesn't not. All of the parts are there, I guess. Or you know what? Maybe they are. Maybe it is Best Picture. To be honest, I haven't decided on the Rewindy yet. Well, it's next, so... Chop, chop. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I I was hoping that this conversation would, like, elucidate. Nope, I'm done. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, I I, kind of see what you mean, although this movie does... um, While I would disagree that it doesn't talk about something bigger, I mean, because of the events of... What happened on the bounty? Uh, British regulations were changed. Yes, I, I didn't know that. Um, so, like, it definitely has a cause and effect thing going on. Mm-hmm. I do. I liked it. I mean, I thought this. Yeah, I, I thought. Too. I thought it had more seafaring than Captain Blood. Yep. Um, I thought it had better acting than most of the movies. The, I will say, production design wise and. Production design wise, it's a little minimalist because it's just a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I feel like even like like the ship in Captain Blood is f- far more interesting than than the bounty. But also, if they were going for historical accuracy, accuracy right? Then like, yeah, I mean, the, in this, the, the ship is not considered a character, where it is in some other movies. Mm, it's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah. I I found it hilarious because like the very start of the film is is Clark Gable like going to a tavern and is like by the way you four guys in this tavern are now part of this crew because that's England back then like they would just walk around and be like all right you're coming with us you're going off for 2 years let's go also why did it take 2 years what do you mean to from England to Tahiti to and back because seafaring takes a long time. I don't think it takes that long. It, like, I think you could do that in, like, two months now. Now? Yeah. This is hundreds of years ago, man. It was, like, a hundred years ago. No, a hundred years ago, that is not correct, because it's 2019. So a hundred years ago would be 1919. Which was which almost when this movie years was made. after the Titanic. <laughs> so, no, it is hundreds of years ago. 70 years after the Titanic? No, seven. Okay. Seven years. I thought you said 70. I said seven. Then I felt like your time frame was off a bit. Seven years after the Titanic. So, yes, hundreds of years ago. So, I mean, you're on the ship for two years, give or take. Like, Clark Gable's character is very loosey-goosey. And sure. Captain Bly is very when by is the book. Clark Gable's character not Lucy Goosey? Right. Let's be serious. And uh, Captain Bly's character is very by the book. He knows you need to have structure and discipline to keep these people doing their job for two years. And Gable's is like, ah, do whatever you want, guys. Like, 
Captain Bly did nothing wrong. I don't think he was nice about it, which is really where it, where it comes to a head. But I don't completely disagree with you, and maybe that's also why I like I watch from and I'm like, but like why? I guess that's my big question. Why? Like he wasn't evil. I wasn't on the mutineers' side. No, even though he's pretty terrible to them, and he's like, no, I'm going to starve you, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, like, like. It, the film didn't make me, even if that stuff was happening, I didn't feel terrible about it. Right. Like, there's only, but here's the thing they're not doing what they're supposed to. He only has so many options to discipline them. Mm-hmm. So, like, you got, like, you, sure. I think you have to do stuff that you probably normally wouldn't do. Like, if they were on land and they disobeyed him, it wouldn't be like, well, now he's going to starve. It'll be confine him to his room. Like, there's only so many things you can do to keep that ship working and to get discipline across and in, in hoping to correct the behavior. Yeah. Correct the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I think he's just a man with very little options. I mean, that's, I mean, that could be true, too. Give me some fun facts because it's, this episode's over an hour and a half. Well, I mean, it's the 1930s. This I is know. what happens. I know. This is the only film to receive three nominations for the Academy Award for Best Actor. Clark Gable, Charles Lawton, and Franchette Tone. Because of this, the Academy introduced a Best Supporting Actor shortly after to ensure the situation would not be repeated. They all lost to Victor McLaughlin of The Informer. Mm-hmm. Irving Thorberg cast Clark Gable and Charles Lawton together in the hope that they would hate each other making their on-screen sparring more lifelike. He knew that Gable, a notorious homophobe, would not care for Lawton's overt homosexuality and would feel inferior to the RADA-trained Shakespeare... Wait, sorry, I I, I blacked out. Can you go back and read that again? Irving Thalberg cast Clark Gable and Charles Lawton together in the hope that they would hate each other, making their on-screen sparring more lifelike. He knew that Gable, a notorious homophobe, would not care for Lawton's overt homosexuality and would feel inferior to the RADA-trained Shakespearean actor. Relations between the two stars broke down completely after Lawton brought his muscular boyfriend to the island as a personal monsieur. They, would, they were an obviously devoted couple and would go everywhere together, while Gable would turn away in disgust. In addition, Lawton felt that he should have won Best Actor for the Barretts of Wimpole Street, 1934. In any event, he was not even nominated, and the award went to Gable for It Happened One Night. Hmm. The Bounty and Pandora were actual life-size ships that were built from two old wooden schooners. The builders added outer ribs in the frames to the hulls to get the correct width, and after replanking them, added concrete inside as ballast. Then they were given three masts and rigged in authentic 18th century style. A 27-foot-long model was burned at the end of the film. It was an exact replica of the life-size bounty, but one-fifth of its actual size. Hmm. So they kind of built the ships themselves. I have a question. Yes. You said that Charles Lawton was married to Elsa Lancaster. Yes. Back then, people were married and, and not in love with the people they were married they're called beards. Interesting. 
I believe that's what they're called. Yeah, right? that is correct. Yeah, yeah go me. I liked you. You're like, I twitch. You're like, I hope that's right. I don't want to look like a fool. Right. So, wow, that's crazy. I just learned a lot about Charles Lawton. Yep. In, and Clark Gable. And Clark Gable. Yeah. Wow, Clark Gable. Yeah. Not looking great. I mean, to be fair, I was talking to a friend. I was texting with a friend um, when I was watching this movie, and they sent me a uh, news link of a story about Charles Gable that even makes him look worse. We're Clark not going to get into Clark, Clark Gable, Gable, right? Uh, that makes him look even worse. Let's look it up. Save that for Gone with the Wind. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> save that for then. So, can we do the rewindies now? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. I can't, you don't seem very into it. No, we can. Okay. I'm trying to give you more time to figure out your. Well, I'm good. Uh, okay. I mean, it's the last one. So, right. okay. So the, we're gonna do we're gonna do 1936 awards and then we'll do all of the sixes. Yeah, dun, dun, the, one, dun, dun. the one that I actually found easier than the 1936 awards. I had it at the start and I've completely forgotten them. So go. Okay, um, best actor for me and best actor for you. What is your choice? Uh, Charles Lawton, Mutiny on the Bounty. Uh, I'm gonna say Charles Lawton, Ruggles of Red Gap. Okay, either way, he wins. Good yep. for Charles Lawton. <laughs> Uh, best actress. Yep, I know it's tough. This is where I got stuck because there's like, so there's Catherine Hepburn in in Alice Adams. And right, you're like good Catherine Hepburn. No, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna give it to. Uh, I'm gonna give it to Captain Blood. Olivia De Havilland. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm gonna give it to also Olivia De Havilland because there you go. Right. Because they were stuck. Um, supporting actor. Uh, supporting actor, I'm going to give it to Charles Lawton for Javert. Okay. I'm going to give it to Edward Everett Horton for Top Hat because he was delightfully funny. Yes. Yes. Uh, I almost gave it to Mickey Rooney for just being scared. Oh, my God. And I was fine. afraid he would come to my house. Nope. Not happening. Best uh, supporting actress. Uh, best supporting actress would be um, from The Informer. No, uh, it's actually uh, Merkel. Oh, um, Una Merkel. Yeah, Una Merkel from uh, Broadway Melody of 1936. Okay, I'm going to give it to Una O'Connor from The Informer. She played the mother. Of... I had almost given it to her. Yeah, but... she she was really, that was a really good performance. Yeah. Best cinematography? Uh, best cinematography I would give to probably Top Hat. Top Hat, good, okay. Good choice. Yeah. I'm going to give it to the Informer. Best special effects. Top hat. Top hat. I'm going to give it to Captain Blood. Production design. Top hat. The lives of a Bengal Lancer for me, because I really did think that they went to India. Right. Uh, and I will say, I, I'm giving it to Top Hat because of the set pieces they made that come out of the floor while they're dancing. Oh, sure. So it was kind of a dual special effects and production design cool. thing. Costumes. Uh, costumes, I would probably say Naughty Marionette. Yeah, I'm going to say Naughty yeah. Marionette, too. I almost Midsummer Night's Dream, but you can, like, see some of, like, the, almost like the cheap material right. on them. Mm -hmm. And Naughty Marietta is just really pretty. Best music? Best music, I would give it to uh, Top Hat. Okay, best music, I'm going to give it to The Informer. Um... Best writing? Mutiny on a Bounty. Okay. I'm going to give it to the Informer. 
and Best Picture. Mutiny on the Bounty. The Informer. I almost went with Top Hat because Top Hat is very fun. I almost went with Les Mis. Yeah. There you go. Um, Yeah. uh, It just wasn't my favorite Les Mis um, adaptation. They they just took out too much. Um, I almost gave it to Top Hat because of how fun Top Hat is. That's so much fun. And Broadway Melody of nineteen thirty six, Broadway Melody of nineteen thirty six, same way. Like they're so fun. Yes, they're great. But I think since those two are very similar movies, I think Top Hat is the better one of the two. I think it's probably yeah. Um, I think actually, I think the jokes in, I think the music in Top Hat is better. But I think, it, but I think the and the dancing is better. But I think that the, um, I think that the jokes in Broadway Melody are, are funnier, or they hold up. Okay. I think. Yeah. Anyway, season four awards for all the sixes. So this is all of the decades in this season, and we can and we can choose anyone from this time, but only in the movies that right. only in the movies that we watched. Are you ready? Yes. Oh God, here we go. Best actor. Best actor. Charles Lawton in Mutiny on the Bounty. I'm going to give it to Philip Seymour Hoffman for Capote. Okay. Okay. Best Actress. Best Actress, uh, The Woman from Love is a Many Splendor Thing. You didn't even bother to look up her Look up her name. I Show will. some respect. I will. Why don't you write these things down? <laughs> write down. You write, I mean, I know you only copy and paste your fun facts, but you can at least <gasps> write down. You can at least write down. I am hurt. Your, but are you hurt Jeff, because Jennifer Jones. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm going to give it to Joan Crawford for Mildred Pierce. Okay, that's a that, I I can respect that decision. Well, you don't respect my Philip Seymour Hoffman for Capote. Nah, I do, but he was so good. He, he was. was Capote. No, no, Truman Capote was Capote. Interesting perspective. Supporting actor. Uh, supporting actor. You go ahead <laughs> because I had one and then I forgot it. <laughs> Charles Lawton. <laughs> no, maybe they can't do that. You can't. You already gave him an award. I did. Yeah, but I want to give him all the awards. Isn't too bad. Mine is um, Robert Shaw for Jaws. Okay, that's. Um, I'm surprised you're only. Uh, surprised you're giving. Yeah, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. That I, that I'm not giving it to somebody else. No, I was gonna say I'm. I'm surprised you're actually only giving Jaws one award, but we haven't finished them all yet. So I, I actually. Um, I'm. It's a one award award per movie, so that's, that's the last not time. a rule. I know, but that's what I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Jaws. Robert Shaw and Jaws is really good. Yeah. Uh, supporting actress. Supporting actress. I probably go with Sandra Bullock in Crash. Oh right, she is in Crash. Yeah. Forget yeah. about that. I'm going to give it to Louise Fletcher for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Nice okay. Ratchet. Cinematography. Uh, cinematography, I would go with, um, what will you go with? Yeah, that is a good question. Yeah. I would go really crash. Should. I, you were the one that told me to remember the rewindies and here you yeah, are. And I had all of these at the start of this. <laughs> oh my goodness. I want to give it to the Revenant. Okay. I'm al- almost gave it to Barry Lyndon, but I'm going to go for the, I'm going to go, for the, go for the one that people actually watched. The Revenant. Yep. Yep. Uh, special effects. Special effects would be Jaws. Okay, I'm going to give it to Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> Production design. Top Hat. Top Hat. 
Is it just because it's in your brain right now? No, because I really love how those things just pop out of nowhere. Okay, I'm going to give it to Apollo 13. That's fine. You can do that. Thank you. I'll allow it. Best costumes. <laughs> uh, best costumes. What did I give it for for this year? Um, I don't, um, Donnie Marietta. Yeah, no. Love is many splendor thing. Okay. Um, I'm going to do Sense and Sensibility. Okay. Best costumes. They're pretty. Best music. Sound of music. The sound of music. Yep. <laughs> it's Look got music in the title. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, there are other great choices. Braveheart's got a great score. Jaws, yeah. obviously. You know, any of these musicals, you know, are great. But the sound of music. Yeah. Obviously. Best writing. Best writing, Crash. You're just a strange human. I just really like Crash. I understand. I understand the problems people have with it. I don't necessarily see it, mm-hmm. or I don't necessarily agree with it, but I respect and understand the problems. Okay. All right. Now, here's my thing. So I don't love my. You know what? I, I'm going to change it. Best writing, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking loved that movie. Yeah, you did. Uh, it was great. Best writing from Marty. And this is, I'm only doing that because my best picture, which I also think kind of deserves the best writing award, but because I, I'm not giving out more than one award per movie. So your best picture for the sixes, season four, what is your best picture? Love is a many splendor thing. God, it's like the crash of... It definitely isn't. It's like the crash of season four. And Crash was in season Season four. four. Uh, I'm going to give it to Spotlight. Oh, I was going to start off with giving it a spotlight, but I just <laughs> I just got into the groove of oh, Love is a Many Splendor Thing. I know. That's because you don't write them down. <laughs> no, because I really like Love is a Many Splendor Thing. Oh, uh, that's fine. When I started, that's I fine. was originally going to give it to Spotlight because you're right. It holds up. It's still great. It is probably one of the better movies that we've seen. Yeah, in this whole range. It might be one of the best movies we've seen in this show. It's really good. Right. But Love is a Many Splendor Thing is just timeless. Is it, though? And Football in the Groin has a football in the groin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's season four for Academy Rewind. Palmer and I will be back for season five eventually, a couple months from now, after we... You know, stop watching movies till our eyes bleed. <laughs> um, by the way, we have to go soon because we're going to the movies. Ah, crap. Uh, so, um, I, so you can find us at Academy Rewind on Gmail and Twitter. You can rate and review the show on iTunes. Find us other places podcasts can be found. You can head over to com to check out all other Thought Bubble audio shows. You can also find us on AcademyRewind.com and go to Patreon.com slash audio to support the show. Palmer, we're doing the fives next. Yay! There's some there's some pretty spectacular movies in the fives. We're talking Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption. Um, Try using something other than 1995. I'm not looking. That's why I'm not. I'm not <laughs> looking at a list. That's why I I blanked. But those are good movies. In um, isn't isn't Forrest the first Gump? It's another one. <laughs> it is also 1995. Isn't uh, isn't that the first, um, not the first, but the first time we're going to watch a Lord of the Rings movie? No, 2003, I think, is the first Lord of the Rings. Well, I mean, like, I'll tell you, so 2015, I'll yeah. tell you, Whiplash, American Sniper, Birdman, Grand Budapest Hotel, Imitation Game, 
Selma, The Theory of Everything, and Boyhood. Wow. I've seen some of those movies, and I haven't seen others, and I refuse to watch one. That's going to be a bad year. I've seen all of them. 2005, we've got Finding Neverland, Ray, Million Dollar Baby, Sideways, and The Aviator. Ooh, I like The Aviator. You don't like Sideways? It's okay. Oh, interesting. 1995, I'm just going to do it. We got Four Weddings and a Funeral, Quiz Show, Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, and Forrest Gump. Might be the best lineup of films. I'm so excited. Me too. Because I already have everything done for that year. Yeah, I know you're going to give it to Quiz Show. Yeah, I know. I know. I know things about you. 1985, A Soldier Story, Places in the Heart, The Killing Fields, Amadeus, and A Passage to India. Amadeus, Amadeus. Oh, Amadeus. Dr. Sayus, Dr. Sayus. Good stuff, Dr. Sayus. I'll do uh, 1975. We've got Towering Inferno, Ooh. Godfather Part 2, yeah. Lenny, The Conversation, and Chinatown. I really hope the conversation is more than just about a conversation. It's about, um, it's about an, I think it's an FBI agent that is um, wiretapping. Ah. And so it's about him re-recording and like editing and making sure he heard what he heard and whatever else. I've seen it pop up. It's Gene Hackman. I've seen it pop up a lot on like, this is a really important film and it's really good. It's one of the best films ever made things recently. Is it, is it that movie that the uh, smiling, nodding gif is from? I don't know to what you are referring. Oh, you haven't been on Twitter the past day, have you? No. There's been a uproar about people not knowing that it's Robert Redford in a movie that no one ever saw. Is it out of Africa? No, it's like Jeremiah Jordan or something. Oh, yeah, Jeremiah Jordan, obviously. I don't yeah, exactly. Know. But film Twitter is all in an uproar that nobody knows the film or that it's Robert Redford in the GIF. I mean... People should probably know it's Robert Redford. No, it, it's not the most Robert Redford-looking Robert Redford. Oh, interesting. He doesn't look like Robert Redford? No, he's got a beard. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. I will go to film I will go to film Twitter and look it up. Anyway, 1965. Beckett, Zorba the Greek, My Fair Lady, Dr. Strangelove, Mary Poppins. Didn't we already see My Fair Lady? No, we saw Pygmalion. Ah, which is just My Fair Lady without the music. Which is yeah the original the original play, that's correct. You are you are correct, sir. I am always correct. 1955, the Kane Mutiny, Seven Bridges for Seven Brothers, The Country Girl on the Waterfront, and Three Coins in the Fountain. It is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Seven. What did I say? Bridges. bridges. Mm, interesting. Seven Brides. For, I was like, <laughs> I've never heard of that movie before. Ah, good. Another mutiny. Another mutiny. More waterfronts. Nineteen forty-five. Wilson. Gaslight, Double Indemnity, Going My Way, Since You Went Away. That's a really strong, even Gaslight and Double Indemnity alone, that's really great. And then 1930, and then 1935. Oh, God. Are you ready? No. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. The Barretts of Wimpole Street, Viva Villa, The Thin Man, Here Comes the Navy, Flirtation Walk, It Happened One Night. The House of Rothschild, The Gay Divorcee, Cleopatra, One Night of Love, Imitation of Life, and The White Parade. Wow. I know. But you know what? <laughs> that's future Palmer and Tim that's, problem. That's future problem. Right now, 
we get to watch the Imitation Game. Yay! And what other all the other movies? I said Grand Budapest Hotel. No, yeah, I love that movie. You're in for a treat. Uh, so are you. Yeah. Oh no, I know I'm not. So anyway, that's it from us. So, which is good because I think they're playing us off. No, I have some more people to thank. Oh, too bad. Bye. Bye. Bye.